Welcome to a special episode of the Common Sense Podcast. Before we get started, we'd like to note that we do not own any of the audio being used in today's episode. Let's get started. Yeah. I can do anything. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode number 27, the real episode number 27. Supposed to be on 28, but we had to put an episode to rest last Last week. Oh, man. I was so hurt by that. You know, I I had people asking me, did they miss the episode? And I was just like, no, um... We'll yes, people, people <laughs> like, oh my goodness, my ride to work was so silent this morning. Um, what happened? I'm just like, you know what? Ex- extend some grace. <laughs> my pride was hurt personally because we had gone 26 weeks, 26 straight weeks, and hadn't missed the episode until last week. I was too hurt, too done. But now we're back, and the sound quality is normal. Hopefully. Thankfully, hopefully. <laughs> we'll see. Um, And we're back up in this gig. So, uh, welcome back, everybody. My name is Patrick. I am in the country of Qatar, and it is one in the morning. You're doing okay for it to be one in the morning, though. You're doing I'm well. doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And my name's Antonia, and y'all know I'm somewhere in the U.S. Okay, you're getting know really, where I am. They know where I am. You're I guess, like, getting really bad at that. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. I try wow. to Google myself and like see if people like if they Google me if they'll find out where I am, and nothing has come up. So I'm just like, great. I don't know. It just kind of scares me being on. Like, the platform is so huge, it's just kind of scary. Because after watching you, I told you how easy it is to find someone. I'm just not, I'm not interested in being that easy to find. What do you mean watching me? Watching, no, it's literally called you on Netflix. Oh, 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 not, oh, okay. Yeah, just, yeah. Oh, my God, you're, you're, you're using me as a case study. Um, okay, awesome. <laughs> Any good news this week? Um, well, it just recently happened. I wanted a, so, you know, I'm like obsessed with materials, like Montessori materials and the method. Um, and I've been wanting a movable alphabet and someone reached out and said that they would purchase me one. So no spend school year continues. Yeah. Um, and there was something else, but I'm forgetting it. So maybe after you share something, then it'll come back to me and I'll be able to share it. Well, on our week off, though we didn't have an episode, we got some pretty exciting news, which was that we were featured on Apple Podcasts Black History Month feature that page. I, that was exciting. And I did not believe you when you like sent it to me. So I <laughs> I opened up my podcast thing and I was like, surely it's just based off what he listens to. <laughs> and like, right? I mean, I listened to it, but... The way it was set up, 
whatever the way it was set up it showed the exact same podcast like in the exact same area and order as yours so i was like okay this See? might be legit <laughs> so that was exciting. right that was exciting yeah on top of us re-entering the apple podcast top 200 education podcasts like chart so Yay. we charting up in this day i was so excited Bless up. That's what you look like right now. Like blessings. Sorry, I was trying not to cough in the mic. <laughs> I was trying not to cough in the mic. Um, I mean, again, I cannot thank the listeners enough for listening. Thank you to everyone who is uh, leaving those incredible reviews. We love reading them, especially Antonia. She really loves reading them. They're so sweet. Um, yeah, they are. Um. Man, I it's like I know that people listen, but it's crazy to know that people actually listen. You know what yes, I'm saying? Yeah. Or like the volume of people, like the like the number of people that actually listen is crazy. We're almost at fifty thousand listens. Yeah. So once we hit that, we have a surprise for you guys. So. Oh, thanks for letting me know. <laughs> I was going to name it and claim it. I don't know what that surprise is, but we're going to figure that out, right? Yeah, that that's the homework. That's our homework. And I said it live so that we are going to name it and claim it. Bingo. Um, also, good news. I am on winter break. Okay. I'm on winter break. Uh, in the desert, I have one week off. I have been eating and sleeping for the most part. I have a trip planned to the desert. I'm pumped. I've been saving guap. I'm pumped. I have <laughs> been dreaming really, really, really big. Um, and I have a really big announcement coming on March 1st. Who are you? You tell me like nothing anymore. Why am I just hearing this? I told you about this thing. Okay, sure you did. I'm not remembering. Okay, but okay, off continue. Record. No, off record. I told you that I'm creating. Okay. Okay. You did. I actually tell her all the <laughs> things because I, I go through Antonia for like preliminary ap approval. I'm like, okay, let me see if Antonia, like what she thinks about this. And if she'd be like, oh yeah, do that. Then I'd be like, okay, I feel better about this. And then if she like gives me feedback, then I'm like, okay, let me take that feedback, apply it, and then represent it to her again. Um, <laughs> Cause I respect your opinion a lot. Um, not that much. Just a, just a little bit. I'm just, just a little kidding. bit. <laughs> um yeah so i'm i'm just excited to have some time off um i'm not trying to run away anymore i'm gonna stick it out till june and figure it out from there uh but it has been great for the month of february also my birthday was fantastic thank you to everybody who wished me happy birthday um and sent in those birthday wishes i spent it in the club Yes, we saw. Lit, okay. And it was R&B night. Amen. Amen. Um, How appropriate. You, uh, 
Right. They played Faith Evans. So I was uh, really pumped about the Faith Evans and Fat Man Scoop, you know, little mix that they did. Uh, um, yeah, so it's been pretty good. Lots and lots and lots of good news. Also ended the week before break, like the week leading into break was a really solid week at school. Um, I'm not sure if I'm not going to say that. Um, I'm just going to continue to set the bar high for everybody. Um, And I think when I do that, even though it may be frustrating, the process, the end result will always be great when expectations are high. So I'll end it there. That's my good news for the week. Really pumped. We also have one more announcement that we can't even announce because... Because I'm acting funny. You know what I'm talking about. I'll just leave that there. But... um, (laughs) <laughs> when we can figure that out, then we can announce that. And we're also going to need a new graphic for that, too. But now I'm talking too much. All right. I remember my other good news. Oh, okay. So I'm starting a book club. And <gasps> I finally, I, I'm so excited. It's been like, I've been talking about it for like nearly two years. Um, but I talked with like the local bookstore and they agreed to do like a discount if people came in and said like that they were with the book club. Um, so I'm really, really excited about that because I feel like it's not every day that you can like just go into your local business and be like, hey, can you offer me a discount for this? And yeah, I'm super excited. And finding out that other people in a similar stage of life are also still reading is amazing. Like books are not dead. There are still readers out there. Um, and if you've not read a book since high school, like it's never too late to pick one up. So yeah, I'm very excited about that. So you a whole teacherpreneur now? I, you know, maybe. Have I ever like, I've plugged my bookstagram on here, haven't I? No. Oh, well, if you like books, um, I'm actually, ooh, there's still time. I'm hosting a giveaway with the publishing company New Press right now. Who do you um, think you are? I know. It's actually crazy. Um, but I have a bookstagram account. It's called at Black Girl That Reads. Um, and if you follow me and then you go follow the publishing company, you might be able to win um a new release. So yeah, go follow. It's actually kind of wild how it's all worked out with that bookstagram account. Yeah. I am it's very weird. proud of you. You go Thank girl. You. Yes. Oh, okay. So let's go ahead and have this discussion, okay? Why the deep sigh? <laughs> because people have been asking us to talk about this for several weeks, several months, actually. We've gotten this like, please talk about this. Please talk about this. Um, And I've been kind of avoiding it because I really feel like it's kind of been a topic that is like very broad not really sure how to narrow it down until the killer mike breakfast club interview that happened last week um if you don't know who killer mike is he is a award-winning rapper can i tell you a killer mike song couldn't tell you one so i didn't know who killer mike was until like three weeks ago (laughs) 
when on Twitter there was like a snippet from does he have like something on Netflix right now? Yes. There's, okay, Trigger so warning. there was <laughs> there was a snippet of an inner like of him with like some first graders, I think. And he was trying to talk to them about I Maybe it was black history. It was something related to blackness. And little black boy started talking. And then the little white boy raised his hand <laughs> and tried to cut him off. And he was like, uh, basically, wasn't he saying like that's being uh, like upholding like white, like in some way he said something about white supremacy to the first, the little first grader. And the little first grader just nods yep. head and puts his hand down. And like put I'm his not. hand down. <laughs> 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 yes. Um, Killer Mike is is mostly known to us for uh, being on the campaign trail with the progressive old man himself, Bernie Sanders, um, and being his like right hand man in terms of getting the crowd pumped and um, being a bridge between the black community and the senator from Vermont. Anyway. So Killer Mike does an interview with The Breakfast Club. And if you don't know what The Breakfast Club is, I'm not going to explain it. It's it's a crazy radio show. Um, go check it out. And they had a lengthy debate. Very, very interesting points, though, surrounding public education versus private education. And I want to give this segment a name. <sighs> Come on, give me a name for this. What do we call this? I'm thinking. You can't put me on the spot like this. Um. Come on. Come on. I'm thinking. Stop. Greatness doesn't just happen out of nowhere. It's almost like close reading. <clears throat> so to use that to help you. Close listening. <laughs> I'm kidding. Come on. You won't break it down. I don't like that. That sounds <laughs> I want to do... I'm sorry. I want to do a spin on close reading. Well, let's call it a spin on close reading. Bingo. All right. So let's play the clip as a reminder... In the beginning of the episode, we don't own any of this audio. We're just playing playing the audio and talking about it. Don't sue us. Please. Because <laughs> I don't got no damn money for your ass. All right, here we go. You know, you get some of the riffs sometimes, but what I like to tell black people is, I honestly, in my heart of hearts, Angela, feel like in places that are hostile toward black people, you should not send your children to school with white children until they're 13 years old. Mm. Let, let, let the first, just, just though, if you look at other ethnic communities, they keep themselves insulated till about the child 13, 14. You know, then they have a ceremony and stuff. Child gets- okay, so let's stop. Black kids should not go to school with white people until age 13. <laughs> I mean, let's have, no, let's really have that discussion. So I feel very, very strongly about the the desire that I have and the fact that I'm going to make this happen where my children all throughout elementary, I am either teaching them or they have a black teacher. Like there's just, it's a non-negotiable for me. I refuse to 
place my child in an environment for seven hours out of the day where by default, you may not believe in my child's potential. And I just, I refuse. Um, And I don't feel the need to justify that at all because since I've become a teacher and I've observed and noticed things and read things online and just see things how how they've played out across the country i have no desire to to do that to my children whenever i have them um because i think <laughs> it's shush um i i think it's just too dangerous like to you raise this child right up until like four or five years old and you've you've put all that you have into this 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 person and you go to school and they're given messages that they are less than um that they they're not capable and even though it may not even be like directly maybe it's indirectly through the lessons or through the books that are like i just i refuse to let that be where my child develops their sense of identity or the fact that they might have to every day like go through the the notion or the act of trying to justify who they are and why that's okay it's really important that our kids when i say our i mean black kids have a strong sense of racial pride and it is really important that we build that racial pride through the primary years right um in my personal opinion and I believe that the heart of the discussion is, can that racial pride be built in a multiracial environment? Can that racial pride be built in an environment where your identity is not a part of the majority? Nope. That, I mean, that's how I feel. I just, you, unless you are a black male or a black woman, or I, I mean, you, you cannot instill a sense of racial pride in me. Like the, the fact that I should be proud to be black cannot be taught to me by someone who is not black. I'm sorry. Amen. So, <laughs> I mean, I'm not sure how I feel about the age 13, but I mean, certainly through early childhood, which is zero to eight. My child needs to be taught by someone who is black. Period. Let's keep listening. See, that's a tough he, one, though. No, that's not a tough one. I'm going to tell you why. Why? Because, right, I'm from a place, Queens Village, where we had the first metal detectors on high school, right? So my parents made the option of not putting me in that high school, my zone school, which was Andrew Jackson, and put me in a school called St. Francis Prep, right? St. Francis Prep, I had to take three, four buses to get to school, but the education was way better than the education that was at Andrew Jackson. Not only was the education better, it gave me better opportunities by putting that school on my application. It gave me an advantage of most students, not just black students, black students, white students, Asian students, all those students. So they gave me that opportunity coming from Queens Village, coming from Queens. So for my kids, who I have five, who I go through a lot of it. I have my daughter in a private school who goes probably one of the top private schools in New Jersey. But she's already taking college courses on, on top of her what she does. It's no longer 30, 40 kids per class. It's eight kids per class. And her education is like no other. My son is a little different because my son goes to a private school. But he's he's in the hood doing other things. He's playing football in Newark. He's playing basketball in Newark. So he gets that. But that education that he gets in those schools is unlike anything that I ever got in my life. Well, all the great education you got, you turned out to be a DJ. 
and a real estate investor. You didn't have an to go to college. Not a DJ, an entrepreneur, bro. Entrepreneur, I'm not dissing DJs. Okay, nigga. I'm a part what of hip hop. I'm an MC. I'm just a rapper. I can call myself an entrepreneur too, and I am. Mm -hmm. Right? We both got millions of dollars of property. We both do cool shit. Mm -hmm. But we make our money single and dancing. That's what we make our money doing. So your investment comes from your talent, what you were interested in, what you chose to pursue. Black people, your children are going to have pursuits. And I was looking for and I'll find, before I came up here, I visited an academy that's owned by a former Ohio State player. This academy is all black children, bought a small church out in Lithonia, Georgia. All black kids learning, dominating, 100% college rate. So what I was getting to on a grander level is, if you can't send your children to Woodward, if you can't send your children to St. Wherever, I'm saying to put confident children in the world. See, because we always love that cop out of, hey, man, you know, we sent my children there for a better education. But the same niggas be telling me how much they paid for college. You understand what I'm saying? I don't have no problems with you loving your children. But my children go to public school because I pay taxes in public schools and they name for black people. And either you're going to choose to be excellent and you're going to do better or you're going to sit your chump ass down and you're going to keep me in the same shit over and over. But you can't complain and say that greatness wasn't given to you. If you walk in a school named for Frederick Douglass High School and you do not have the initiative, you do not have the initiative as a parent or the student to walk up and step up to that greatness. But you would do it at St. Pius. You would do it at St. Michael. Man, you a chump. So I get the idea of like having to place your kids in, quote unquote, these schools to further them along um, because, I mean, schools or resources offer the courses you need to get into college, right? So say you went, so like I went to a magnet school for high school, right? And I was offered, like, I think they went up to Calc, is it BC? A, like there's AB and then there's there's something else. But they offered more math courses than the neighborhood school. They offered more science courses than the neighborhood school. And if it's possible for you to go somewhere where like you can just get more, like I see why that's enticing, right? So I, I don't have an issue with that, I don't think, just because you want to expose your child to as much as you can. But I think when we start to talk about like, well, they are better than because I'm paying for it, right? Like, that's when it starts to kind of, um, it gets blurry for me. Because it's I not think... necessarily better. It's not necessarily better just because you're, like, putting money towards it. I think for me, this is, like, the bottom line or, like, a really good example of <clears throat> the school choice movement, right? <laughs> it's like... We want parents to feel empowered to make the best decisions for their children. Ultimately, if a parent chooses to send their child to any particular school, that you know that is that parent's choice, right? Um, I think what bothers me about this statement <laughs> is 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 that we notice and see neighborhood schools struggling, right? Um, but as a people, um, and there are people who are in power and, you know, all all types of parents, right? I don't think that we're organizing enough or, or thinking strategically enough about improving those neighborhood schools. Oh, no, we're not. Not at all. No. And so, like, that's what kind of bothers me is, is like, um, when we say we're sending our kid to a better school or a a a a private school is better than a public school, 
is that really school choice or is that just like trying to escape this like uh, system, if you will, as opposed to just like making it better? I'm not sure. So I think for, for black people specifically, I think the idea of being able to not choose your neighborhood school and be able to afford to send your child somewhere else is a huge thing. Because so many of us like didn't grow up with that kind of um, discretionary income. Right. Yeah, that wealth. And like I'm at the point where, wow, I can spend X amount of dollars to send my child to this school. And I didn't have that growing up. And I want what's best for my child. So I'm going to do that. And I think we don't even, like you said, we're not thinking about how we can improve the neighborhood school so that we don't have to leave the community that we've purchased in or like the community that we live in. We should all be coming together and, and talking about ways to improve that school because every child that we take out of that school takes money away from that school. Absolutely. Which I don't think a lot of people know that like when a child, at least in Texas, when a child does not go to their neighborhood school, that money gets funneled somewhere else. Like the money follows the child. So if there's a, a school that opens, you know, three blocks down the street and all these children decide or their parents decide for them that, you know, this is a better option. We are going to go there. That money follows them, which means that now this neighborhood school that that you live in and that your taxpayer dollars were going to, that school has just lost that money. And it's harder to do more with less. Which brings up the whole school funding structure. (sighs) But that's another episode for another day. I think for me, we have to remember the purpose that a school plays in a community. If we want to, you know, attack all of these systems in place, in poverty and racism and all the other isms, a, a piece of that is investing in the schools that are there, right? And so when people decide not to invest in public schools, and by invest, I mean sending your child to that public school, right? And giving your all to that public school, that in in turn affects the community, right? And so, like, even if you live in that community, and but you're sending your child elsewhere, in a sense, we are still depriving our community um, of kind of what that school could could or can contribute. It makes me think of how people will also say, you know, we support public schools. We send our child to a public school, but then knowing that schools are more segregated now than they were fifty well, years ago. You look at where people are choosing to move mm. to, people with this discretionary income that can do this, where they're choosing to move to and where they're choosing to send their children. It's like we are maintaining the status quo. Like you can afford to move to this community with multimillion dollar homes that has a public yes. school in it. Like that is an option yes. for you. That is not an option for children in X zip code over right. here. And I, it, it starts to get really messy because like, Yes, you're choosing to invest in this public school, but you're also like funneling extra money. It's going to get so messy. This is it's going to have to be another episode, like how you start to talk about what like parent teacher organizations do in neighborhood schools and like how money is spent and how it additional things are purchased and, you know, experiences. <laughs> Stop laughing. Okay. Children get children in the same district five miles away from each other get different experiences yes. because there is a PTO with all this money. Yes. Um I I don't I honestly I don't know the solution. I don't think that it is I 
I don't know. I just it's not a it's not a black or white issue, right? It's not an either or. It's not. No, it's not. But I think that they're bringing up a really good discussion. Let's keep listening. Oh, it's a great education. The education only teach you as Egypt is in Africa. Don't teach you to be proud of nothing about yourself. It just teaches you how to take tests well and how to participate and coordinate according to the system and the way they teach you. And you never thought, God damn, I could start my own Montessori, Montessori school where it's eight kids in the whole school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying this from because I heard this shit in some goddamn chump ass rhyme from a chump ass rapper. I own <laughs> a third of a block Kanye. in Atlanta. And I was- hold. The second block next to me was bought by five white people who didn't even know each other. Mm. And they started a monastery school within three months. Nigga, do something. Mm. I used to wonder to myself, man, why is Dick Gregory so mad? Because Nick, he cussed me and tip out the first time we met him. He said, man, what y'all niggas going to do? March, the same shit we've been doing 50 years? Nigga, they going to tell you to march. You got to be off the streets by 7 o'clock. If you ain't not going to keep. Yeah, the schools seem better because you buying into that. Why are we not starting our own academies and supporting them? So why aren't we building our own schools, Patrick? We are. That's the whole thing. People are opening schools. Uh, lots of them. I don't think that opening schools is always the answer um, because many of us don't know or aren't well equipped um, to open up a school in this current education system, right? I think that Killer Mike is, you know, thinking of this like fairy tale land of like open up a school or an independent school, but the structure and the funding and like opening schools is 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 tricky and it's not always the answer i mean we've talked about on this show about so many schools that are opened up by black people that do harm to black children every single day okay when he when he started talking i was just like with what money where is the money for this coming from and where is it going to continue to come from like people open schools and forget that I mean, if you need a, if you want a consistent source of like money, you're going to have to be doing something with the state, which means you're going to be testing, which means you're going to have to be, I mean, upholding practices that we all say that we want to do away with. So like, I, I, I also, I don't think that opening up schools left and right on every corner is the answer either, because now the pot, like there's too many hands in the pot. Now the money is not, the amount of money available to us is not increasing. And so now we're all trying to do more with less. But I do I like know. the point of if your child's going to be great, they can be great at this public school or this private school. So why not? <laughs> I mean, I agree with that, too. But when I heard that, when he said St. Pius versus this other school, like, I'll, like I wish I would pay for your education and you not be doing what you're supposed to be doing. So, I mean, that's the way I looked at it. Like. I'm working. You better be right. bringing A's home. I'm sorry. Not to say that you shouldn't bring A's home regardless, but I've got extra money put into this. It's like when I started paying for a grad school out of pocket. Like I, I did my assignments versus when somebody else was paying for it. It was just like, eh, it's not really my money. But now you have like an additional and attachment to it. And just for a reminder, the average cost of a independent school or a private school, a day school, which is just like a regular school. It's $23,963. Um, the average cost for a boarding school is $56,071. Child. 
that's a whole salary okay um that's a whole salary right Mm. let's keep listening and start to wrap this that's why what no, you no, I'm not talking about you. See, so you can sit here and say the chump shit all day long, I'm not right? talking about you. I'm, I'm telling you, light skin, no, I don't give you feeling, but I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about working class people. I'm talking again about working class people. Public school teachers are not getting paid, are overworked, and some of them are not putting the effort out because there's some of them are the worst teachers in the country. I don't agree. I'm here to I defend teachers. You are agree. full of shit. Yeah, I, 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 I got to with that too. My, my, my mom is a public school yeah, teacher. You full of shit. You full of shit. You full of shit. My mom been a public school teacher for 30 years. Some DJs whack. You not one of them. Nah, get out of here with that. That's wrong. To throw teachers under the bus is wrong. You are wrong. Yeah, you can't throw public school teachers. Yeah, you are wrong. You're not going to put words in my mouth. I said some public school teachers are there and they don't give it all and some of them don't have the tools that the same schools that other schools have that's wrong that's to, to throw teachers, teachers under the bus nope, is wrong no nope, you said, are wrong you're yeah you can't throw yeah, you, you are wrong. wrong you're not gonna put words in my mouth i said some public school teachers are there and they don't give it all and some of them don't have the tools that the same schools that other schools have um so let's stop there really really quick and i just want to say we do this all the time we throw teachers under the bus because we don't know <laughs> who else to blame for the state of public education in America. We don't know. We literally don't know enough about the beast, the system that is public education. So it is easy to put the entire system on the back of teachers and blame us for the shit that goes down. That's like when teachers, teachers all across the country have been walking out like left and right this year. And every time someone decides to strike, like I think Denver starts mon- starts Monday. Um, shout out to y'all. But every time teachers decide to strike, there are people like, well, if they wanted what's best for children, they'd be in the classroom teaching them. You, you can't, something has to give, right? Like you cannot continue to blame us, like you said, for, for a large... A system so many of us as even teachers don't really fully understand. Like so many teachers just show up and try to do their best and try to do their job and don't understand just how intricate and how intentional this system is with keeping, you know, black and brown children locked out of opportunities, not providing the type of education they deserve, um, not providing adequate resources for for the things that need to happen to take place. Um and it's really, it's a shame that at some point, even teachers start to, we don't know. to blame well, teachers. Who the hell to blame? Yikes. I also just want to say the president of the United States dedicated one sentence to education in the State of the Union. One sentence. And it went a little something like, we ought to pass school choice, period. And that was it. It's not sustainable what we're asking right now. And that- and I think it's it's all intentional. Oh. We're not prepared for it. Something finna happen. I'm about to write something. All right. <sighs> Interesting. Okay. I mean, I think a final couple final points for me is one, you know, parents have the right to choose what schools they go to. Um, but they have to ask themselves at what cost. Do And I think that that is the hardest piece because in a sense, it's like, I would assume I'm not a parent, but I would assume it's like, I will, I'm, I'm going to send my child here because I'm concerned about my child's education. 
Um, and maybe that's a, such, <laughs> now that I'm thinking about it, such an American way of thinking. Uh, <laughs> hashtag meritoc- meritocracy. You know, we're all trying to reach that American dream. We got to do what we got to do to get on top. But I think at, at what cost um, is, is a question that we should be asking ourselves. Definitely, we have to start to interrogate who do we hold responsible and accountable for the state of public education? Because it, it is not the teaching force. It is not the teaching force. The issues that um, impact students and teachers every day happen at the very, very, very top. And we have to have, we actually have to have conversations. We don't even talk about education in America. We don't even talk about it. It's not a discussion. It's never a trending topic unless we're talking about striking, right? Until we are completely fed up and we ain't even in the classroom some more, then we want to have a conversation about education. But I think that we have to start talking about 21st century learning, 21st century education, um, and how do we make the teaching profession sustainable? We have a crisis on our hands that I think is just as big as global warming. I said it. So the conversation about like it needs to go beyond just comparing ourselves to Finland, right? Like we start talking and then we're like, well, but Finland, Finland. But like, what are you going to do to reach the not necessarily the top, but to provide an education and a working environment? for children and students like Finland is providing for everyone that has a because hand in the education, choice, education system there. School choice is like, not what are we gonna do? an answer. It's just a Band-Aid. Um, it's not even a Band-Aid. <laughs> it's more like leaving the wound while you go and, like, you, you know, play somewhere else. I mean, but then we need to start talking about the origins of school, uh, the origins of school choice, right? Oh, and how magnets were created okay. to draw white parents yes. back into the inner city. Another episode for another time. But, like, school choice was not made for us. I'm not going to start. I'm not. We will do another episode on this, guys. Yeah, we literally could go all day. So let's uh, take a break, and we'll be right back. Yeah. What's up, y'all? You know, the reason why we started this podcast is because we want to amplify the voices of teachers in our education system. You can help us to continue doing that by leaving a comment or a five-star rating on our iTunes page. And don't forget to visit our website at www.commonsensepod.com. We'll be right back. Yeah. And we're back. If you have questions, you can submit them through our website at commonsensepod.com or you can send them um, through our email at commonsensepod at gmail.com. So I told Antonia to, you know, let's take a little bit of a break from the sent in questions because I'll be scrolling through social media, um, the Facebook group, uh, Black Educators Rock, and I see some questions in that group that put me on the floor. And so I want to bring that. <laughs> I want to answer some of those questions live on the air um, for a special Q&A. All right. So you ready? Yep. Let's go. First question. 
As parents and educators, would you pursue this further or leave it alone? I was riding the car with my daughter a little while ago with my middle school grandson. He's a timble and humic humid. <laughs> what the hell? He's a timid and humble kid. Uh, he sent her a text message begging her to pick him up from school early because a parent had threatened to shoot up the school due to her son being expelled yesterday. After seven attempts, I was finally able to get a human being on the phone and was transferred an AP. After I explained my concerns about my grandson's obvious distress, the AP's response was that the police had been called, counselors were on campus, and the assembly was called to explain to the students, faculty, and staff that the rumor had been uh, had been suspended. Or, or the students who had spread the rumor had been sus- uh, suspended and there was no grave danger to the school. And then the AP told me, we appreciate your concern. My phone has rung, hasn't rung much all year. Students are supposed to use their phones or are not supposed to use their phones during school time. There's a $15 return fee if they are caught using them. I've taught school for more than 20 years now. I put three children through school. My daughter and I are very active in my grandchildren's school life. My children knows not to break the rules because he's more afraid of home consequences than school. But he was scared, y'all. Should I pursue this further or leave it alone? So she's asking if she should, like, pay the money, right? And, like, ask why they... they... <laughs> I'm sorry. It's just a lot going on there. <laughs> Because, yeah, so that's first what of all, I, I would hope that there was, like, a robocall sent out. Is that how you say it? Like, almost immediately, because kids are yes. going to text their parents. Like, you can tell a kid all day, put your phone up, put your phone up, put your phone up. But you tell me something about something of that measure happening, especially in today's climate, and they're going to pull phones out, and I'm going to call home. Like, there's no way around it. Not, he should not have gotten in trouble for that. Also, a $15 phone So just a fundraiser. Because... That's a, that's that's a fundraiser. T- we don't have to buy nothing to sell, but now we got extra money. But where is the money go? Like, who is the money going to? What is it being used for? No, no. Go get that phone. Or like, I, I just, I would not be paying it. And I'd be having a conversation with how they did not inform parents in a, a like a proper way of what was happening at the school. Is that the way that we can hold, is that the only way that we can hold people accountable by taking money out of their pockets? What does that then say about how people value you as a parent? (sighs) My advice would be to pursue this further. Sweet and simple. (laughs) Sweet and simple, period. I mean, there was an emergency at the school. Do you need to... You know, like there was an appropriate reason why your grandson called you. That's it. He was not using it to tweet and twatter. Tweet and twatter. I don't know why okay. I just said how twatter. How old are you? Well, you know how all great the you know how grandmas like they always <laughs> the Facebooks <laughs> or you know I'll be twi- twittering and all. Okay, okay. So he had a reason. Pursue it further. All right. Let's keep moving. To my educators working in schools that serve black students, but have mostly white teachers and admin, have you ever been able to incorporate black culture into your school or classroom? 
My principal does a great job with our challenging population, but all of my grad school research paired with being raised pro-Black shows that the more you can identify with the culture at your school, the more you'll be willing to learn. I've only ever worked at turnaround schools and getting white colleagues to take Black History Month seriously for their Black students is an uphill battle. What do I do? I would honestly just be worried about what's happening in my room and let the kids talk for me. Because, I mean, trying to educate people who don't... First of all, you're going to have to try to convince them that this matters, right? And that alone is a battle in itself. And just expending the energy to do that, like, day after day after day, I don't know if I have it in me. Um, But, like, starting with the kids in your class and then letting it trickle out from them. Because kids are going to talk. Like, they'll take care of it for you. And then hopefully your colleagues will come to you asking how to move forward with it. Be an example. I would rather them not celebrate Black Black History Month at all than celebrate it incorrectly or or invalidate or um, diminish a student's culture throughout the month because they're trying so hard, um, even though they're not informed on what to do, right? So... Be the example, be the change. You know, everybody loves that quote. Be the change you wish to see in the world. Uh, And (laughs) if you're, you know, when your students uh, react in the way that you know that they will, then uh, everybody will come to you and you will hopefully lead some sort of PD or some sort of uh, presentation or whatever to help folks get, get on board if they're ready. If people are not ready to do the work, then they're not ready to do the work. And we're not going to sacrifice students' um, racial pride because of teachers' ignorance. Okay, last question. Hey, Black educators. I'm a third grade teacher with 42 42. students. Can you suggest... (laughs) I'm sorry. You know that meme going around? (laughs) I don't even know who it is, but he he was on The Breakfast Club. Was it Soldier Boy? And he's like... <laughs> yes, Anthony. I'm sorry, but when you said 42 in my head, I saw his face and then yelling 42. So continue. <laughs> I'm going to assume that she is a subject teacher and she has 22 in one class and 22 in the other. Wait, is that for, no, that's 44. 21 in one class, 21 in the other. Wishful <laughs> thinking. Could you suggest activities I could do to make the African American history sticky? I've taught... <laughs> First of all, the African-American history sticky. What? Okay. Okay. I've taught, one, I've taught one new person every week since school, but it doesn't seem to have stuck. What do I do? Sounds like she's not teaching it in context at all, right? And so it's just like random facts each day, nope. which is why nothing is sticking. <sighs> I don't want to say that's like common teacher sense, but in a sense, it it's common teacher sense. Um, my advice to you would be, you know, don't think that you can cover Black history in an entire month or an entire year. It's going to take a lifetime to master Black history. So really think about what is important for your students to know and to learn. What, what are they interested in? And go a mile deep, not a mile wide. And, you know, really focus on spending 
an amount of time learning about one particular person or one particular era, don't think that you have to cover a hundred and I don't know how many weeks are in a school year. Damn it. 20 or 30 people. Is, yeah. is that about yeah. right? Also, you know, if you really feel so inclined, you know, you could always do what the old school people do, which is do the little living museum in third grade. Come on. In third grade. Or like a gallery ahead, walk. Yeah. How the kids dress up. Do a gallery walk. Have them master one person um, and incorporate all those standards into, you know, that one project. Um, but don't overdo it. Okay? Man. That's why it ain't sticking. Slow down a little bit. Slow down. <laughs> the African the African American history ain't quite sticky. And with that. Uh, if you have questions, please send them to commonsensepod at gmail.com or you can send them to our website at www.commonsensepod.com. Quote, what you got for us? So our quote this week comes from Marion Wright Edelman. I believe she um, she's the founder of the Children's Defense Fund. If you don't know what that is, go look it up. But our quote this week is, a nation that does not stand for its children does not stand for anything and will not stand tall in the future. I mean, I think it just goes without saying that in order to stand for our children, we have to start at least having conversations about improving, drastically improving um, public education. And no, that does not mean school choice. And no, you know, we have to go beyond Common Core, right? So I think uh, with that, we we have to start having some conversations. Got to start making it sticky. We just need to place the children first, (laughs) y'all. Place them first. That's the only way we're going to be able to change anything. And not just your children, but everyone's children's. And on that note, we will see you guys. Well, not see you guys, but we'll be back next week with another episode. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Common Sense Podcast. Subscribe at our website at www.commonsensepod.com and receive the episode a day early. You can also subscribe to the Common Sense Podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. We love seeing your reviews. Um, and reading them and it helps spread the message to other educators each time a review is posted yes and we'll see you next time 